As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Father in heaven, uh, it's amazing to us that we have the word of God before us. Please enable us to think about it well, to understand, most especially to believe we trust that your word is true. We trust that your spirit is here to help us. So Holy Spirit, I pray even now that you would open our eyes most especially our minds, our hearts, to be able to see, hear, and believe. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Daniel in chapter 2. Now, during the first service, I asked them to give me their opinion of something. This is a very, very long chapter. It's uh, about two whole pages in, in the scripture. 50 for 49 verses. And so I read the whole thing and I said, tell me if I should read the whole thing to the second service or not, or if I should not read the whole thing. And they all said, read the whole thing. <laughs> or maybe not all of them, all of them who, who talked to me about it afterwards. And I think she was right. So, <laughs> so I'm going to read the whole thing. It's very long. And if you set your clocks back, 15 minutes will be finished at 12. So, Daniel in chapter 2, please. This is the word of God. Listen, just listen. You know this event. Pace yourself. Just allow it. To, we need to learn to listen to these things. So listen, please. You can read along. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then... The king commanded the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know it, to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, their native language, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing from any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with, with prudence and discretion to Arioch, 
the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Ariok, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Ariok made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Well, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. They told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. To whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give you thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and you have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Ariok brought in Daniel before the king in haste and thus said to him, I found among the Gentiles from Judah a man will make known to the king this interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanter, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, the mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the other living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, the stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces." Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And this was the dream. Now we tell, now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, 
yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like irons that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over all the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. All right, with me? You've read this before. You've heard this before. Many of you probably seen the movie. Uh, you've read it to your children. So we get a sense of what this is about. Now, remember, we started Daniel last week. And the question we asked was, what's the message of Daniel? All right. And we said we can take two perspectives, two looks, look at it through two lenses, which lead to two questions. But then really, I think only one question. First perspective, what does this tell me about Daniel and how he lived in Babylon? You know, he was in exile with his friends in Babylon. Remember that Nebuchadnezzar the king had gone into Jerusalem, captured, destroyed, brought many over a period of a few different trips from Jerusalem into Babylon. The first group were these young, young men, late teenagers probably, the best and the brightest, Daniel being one of them and his friends, as we've read here. And they came into Babylon. The question is, how then could they live as Israelites in Babylon? And that's a good question for us because we are exiles in a similar kind of way in the world in which we live. They in Babylon lived in a culture where the true and living God was not acknowledged as God, we live in a culture, we live in a world where the true and living God is not acknowledged as God. Right? Well, there's some Christianization that we throughout the Western world especially and have seen over time. But let's face it, very quite honestly, uh, there's been no nation on earth that's really embraced Jesus as Lord. Which is really what it means to really be a Christian. And so we live in a culture, uh, we're exiles. We live in a culture where the true and living God is not acknowledged really 
as God because Jesus isn't acknowledged outside of the church as Lord. And so we can find some help from these people. Now you remember that we made note of the fact that Jeremiah the prophet had written a letter to the exiles. Jeremiah chapter 29. And in that letter that he wrote to the exiles, he essentially said this. He says, you're in Babylon, but don't become of Babylon. That's how Jesus would have put it. Paul would have put it like this. You're really citizens of of Israel, but you're living in Babylon. He would have put it. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But, but so, so you're, you really know who you are, but you're in this other place now, but continue to live. And he says, now don't assimilate into the Babylonian culture, but you also can't utterly separate from it either because you're in it, you're here. But don't assimilate, don't become of it, right? You may cooperate in various ways, but don't capitulate to the worldview, to the understanding of life that's in Babylon. He said, in fact, what, I, what you need to do is, is, is marry and give your children in marriage. Increase as a people. And pray for Babylon, in a sense, so that it flourishes. Because if it flourishes, then you'll be blessed. So basically, love your neighbor in the midst of that culture, in the midst of that context, even though you're not of it, because you're, you're in it. And so Daniel and his friends then would begin to live this out so we can learn something from them. And so in Daniel chapter 1, we, we realize that, that Daniel and his friends would be reminded all the time that they lived in Babylon because their names were changed. So they lived with two names. They, their moms probably called them by their Hebrew names, right? Especially when they had done something wrong. And they got both names. But then they also were called in the culture by their Babylonian name. So they were always, no, we're here. Not only that, but Daniel and his friends were trained in the Babylonian college, in the Babylonian school. And so they would live with two understandings of the world, knowing one was right and one wasn't. But they still had to learn them both. And so they would retain what they knew of the Hebrew scriptures and they would meditate upon that, obviously. But at the same time, they went to the Babylonian schools and they learned about all kinds of Babylonian literature and the language and the history and the culture and all of that. In fact, even Daniel was trained as as one who could interpret dreams. This whole notion of with the sorcerers and the magicians and all of that, I'm sure that was scandalous among the other Hebrew people that he would know this stuff. And so we, we realized that, 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 that they were in it, but they weren't of it. Because when they were faced with defilement of eating the king's food, and we don't know quite what would have defiled them in the midst of that, but they said, no, we can't eat the king's food, we can't embrace that. And so as a result, you see, they, they pled not to and were freed from. But, but really the big question, the overriding question, the other perspective that we said, is we really want to look at this from the perspective of God. Right? Because you see, that's how Daniel looked at it. He didn't ask the question, what are we doing so we can tell the rest of the world? He said, what's God doing? Who is God? In fact, at the end of Daniel, sort of at the end, in Daniel in chapter 11, in verse 32, there's a, a phrase, the end of that verse, I just want to pluck for a moment out of the sentence. We'll get to the context when we get to chapter 11 sometime next year. But um, this second half of this phrase, this sentence, says, but 
Daniel eleven thirty two. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Now that describes Daniel, right? He knew God. We mustn't forget that. He wasn't such a great guy. I mean, he's, you know, given guys, he was fine. But, but, but really, he knew God. And because he knew God, that gave him whatever it is that he had in order to take the action that he took. So Daniel would say, oh, if you want to know the principle of my life, know God. And so what we're looking after here, what we're looking for here, is to really know God. By the way, just a FYI parenthesis, right? This is just an aside. I would have mentioned it last week, but I didn't know about it last week. There's a book out called The Daniel Plan. It has nothing to do with the book of Daniel, all right? Please understand that. It's written by a pastor and some others, and it's a book about healthy living, and they spin off of Daniel's refusal to eat the king's food. Remember, Daniel's refusal to eat the king's food had nothing to do with food. Had nothing to do with health. They were already healthy. In fact, the diet he went on, it was miraculous that, 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 that he stayed healthy. It was just vegetables and water. And, and again, uh, some of my best friends are vegetarians. And so uh, they would even say that, no, you need some protein too. You need some other stuff too. And so the, the, the point of it was God kept them healthy in the midst of even that diet. It was all about what God did. He gave favor. And, and God was the one who enabled them to, to be smarter and to know more than all the other Babylonians ten times more. So anyway, this book called The Daniel Plan is about healthy living. Regardless of what it looks like, I'm all for healthy living. Uh, and, and, and I'm not even against dieting or any of that. In fact, this, this book might work as a diet book. I have no idea. I'll never read it. Trust me. But if, if we study the Bible and we study Daniel 1... And we come to the conclusion we should lose weight or live more healthily. We've missed the point. All right? So, just, there you go. I said it. Now, those of you who just lost 40 pounds on this diet, forgive me. Uh, But, bless you. Uh, So it's about God. What we want to do is think about God here, not about Daniel so much. He comes into play, obviously, but we really want to think about what God is doing. So what do we have here? What do we have before us? Well, we have King Nebuchadnezzar. He had a dream, and he's troubled by it. Now, in ancient Babylon, dreams were always significant, especially when the king had one. Because they're always looking for omens, for signs about the future. In fact, one, one commentator puts it like this. He said, in ancient Babylon, dreams were thought to be shadows of the future cast in front of itself, tipping its hand to show what lie ahead. The dreams were thought to be shadows of the future cast in front of itself, tipping its, tipping its hand to show what lie ahead. In other words, they thought dreams went like this. Here was the reality that was going to happen in the future. A dream was a shadow of that cast in the future. So they would look at the dream and say, I know what's to come. In fact, they looked for omens in all kinds of things, even other than dreams. Another one put it like this. He said, Babylonian religion encouraged looking for omens of the future in dreams and fantastic occurrences of everyday life. Indications of future trends and events could be found in the skies, in bizarre births, the shape of animal livers, uh, and in dreams. 
Uh, it's the latter dreams that the Babylonian religion and Daniel's faith came closest. Perhaps that's why God chose to speak to Nebuchadnezzar in this way rather than through the birth of a multi-headed ox. Now, as a kid, I would have found a multi-headed ox what's more interesting than a dream. But uh, we have this we have this dream. And what's fascinating is that the most powerful man in the world is undone by a dream. Now, I can be undone by my dreams. They're scary, but I don't think God speaks to me through them uh, at all. I mean, most of the time, it's somebody chasing me, or even though I've been out of school in a long time, it's about that class I still haven't gone to, or, you know, and I'm still in my underwear way too much in my dreams in public. <laughs> Sorry. But, but for Nebuchadnezzar, he's thinking he was troubled, but he was undone, really, by this, by this dream. And it's fascinating that here is the most powerful man in the world, literally, undone by a dream. And I think it speaks to this inherent insecurity that we all have, knowing that we can be done in at any moment in time, even the most powerful among us. I mean, you have to be thinking logically, I'm the most powerful one among us. And the reason I am is because I've defeated all these other kingdoms who used to be the most powerful. I wonder if there's somebody out there who's coming along more powerful than me. Years and years ago, when I was in graduate school and studying economics, I, um, uh, I had a professor who uh, I looked up to tremendously. We all did. He was... He seemed really old. He was in his late 40s. And, uh, but he was really accomplished. And uh, he had written a number of books and so forth. And he would move on eventually to be a distinguished professor. He would move on to that, become the dean of a business school on the East Coast, uh, prestigious school and so forth and so on. So he was, he was, he was very uh, uh, well-qualified and credentialed. And uh, so we all looked up to him. And I remember one day, he was my major professor, and, and he asked me one day, he said, uh, let's take a walk, which was always kind of weird. And so I went with him. We went outside in Florida to take this walk. And we walked for about 15 or 20 minutes, and he didn't say anything at all. We just walked. And he was the guy, so he had to speak first. So we just kept walking. And, and we walked, and we finally got to a restaurant. We sit down at a restaurant. We ordered, and I was really scared because I had no money. And I was really, I was just a graduate student. I, I was really hoping he was going to pay or somebody was because, I, but I had to order because he ordered. And so we ordered about a third of the way through the meal. He looked up at me and he said this. He said, don't ever forget this. Obviously, I haven't. He says, there's always somebody smarter than you. Now, that didn't come as a big shock to me. <laughs> but it did to him. And I didn't know the backstory and I didn't have enough anything to ask the backstory at that point in time. I just said, okay, got it, write it down. I won't forget this. But then I learned the backstory, and the backstory was this. His latest book had come out, and it had been critically reviewed and negatively reviewed. And when he read the reviews, he agreed with the reviewer. And at that point in time, he realized how vulnerable he was, even though he had built this gigantic academic kingdom he realized he was just one false move away, one review away, and it could all come tumbling 
down. He was undone by one review. And Nebuchadnezzar was undone by this dream. Now, he went to his dream team. He literally had one. He had a dream committee, right, department. Because, because in those days, if you were a king and you had a dream, you had to figure it out. So they had manuals. They had all kinds of ways. They trained people in how to interpret dreams. And so he went to his dream team and he said, he said I had this dream and it's troubling to me. And he says, but here's the deal. Uh, you have to not only interpret the dream, but you have to tell me what the dream was. And they said, well, then tell us what the dream is, was, and we'll tell you the interpretation. He said, you didn't hear me. You have to tell me both the dream and give its interpretation. And they said, that's crazy. No one can do that. That's utterly impossible. He said, only the gods can do that, and they won't because they don't have flesh and blood. They, they don't communicate to us like that. So, so, so we, we have, we're powerless to do that. And he said, well, then I'll kill you. And so he sent out his militia, and they went to kill all the dream team people. Now, interestingly, Daniel was part of that team. He wasn't part of the first wave of that team. Somehow it seems he didn't get that first information. But when Ariok, the captain of the guard, came to uh, Daniel, he seemed surprised. And and he says, well, I'm going to kill you because you wouldn't tell the king his dream. And Daniel says, well, hold your horses. Make an appointment. You know, I'll come and see the king, and I'll tell him the interpretation of the dream. Now, at that point in time, Daniel had no clue what the dream was. So he went to his friends and he said, we need to pray. Now, we can learn something from Daniel. That's it, isn't it? When something bigger than we are comes our way, which, by the way, is everything. Now we don't think it's everything because we sort of go through the motions doing most things. We think we can, and by God's wonderful grace to us, we kind of go through life, and most things are relatively ordinary. But we must never forget that the ordinary things are still things that we need his strength, because if he removes it, we're dead. All right? But then these other things come, and they really remind us that we're vulnerable, and we really are weak, and we really need. And you make a list, you know the list in your own mind of things happening right now that you know you're vulnerable to, you know that are bigger than you. And so those are the things, at least probably, are on the top of your list of things to pray about. And that's good, keep them there. And so Daniel said, let's pray. So he got his community, and not by himself, he got his whole community together of guys, and they began to pray. And during the night, Daniel had a night vision. Sounds like a dream to me, but a night vision, and he was able to see what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamt. So before he goes and sees the king, though, he stops, so we ought to do, and give thanks. Notice the praise that he gives to God. He said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, in whom belong wisdom and might. Great thing. That's probably what they prayed for. God, give us wisdom. Help us understand this and give us the courage to face the king. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. That's an interesting expression. I would think it would say he gives wisdom to the stupid, right? And he gives understanding to those people who know nothing. I mean, you know, and and he does, by the way. But, But the point of this is to take the wisest one amongst us and he still gives wisdom to the wisest one. It's sort of like saying he gives more jumping ability to Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? You go, wait a minute. Michael Jordan has enough jumping. No, 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 no. God has more. God has more wisdom than the wise, more understanding than the most knowledgeable amongst us. 
And Daniel says that's what he that's what he does. He gives. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God, my fathers, I give you praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and now have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So he knows it at that point in time. So then he tells Ariok, I've got it. I'll go see the king. So he comes to see the king, and the king, of course, says... Well then, uh, tell, me, uh, tell me the dream. And, and Daniel essentially says, I can't. I mean, I can't. He says, he says no wise man, enchanter, magician, astrologer can show the king the, mer- the, the mystery that the king has asked. But there just happens to be a God in heaven. Right? And he's the revealer of all these things. Now we mustn't miss the irony of this. Here's the most powerful man in the world consulting his own trained best and brightest and he has to settle for an exile who doesn't share his worldview, doesn't share his God and who's a kid essentially to come and reveal the dream and its interpretation. How humbling is that? I mean, Daniel essentially says, listen, King, I was trained with your people and I was 10 times better than they in all the tests that we got and none of that helps. Because notice how he puts it here at verse 30. He says, as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than any of all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may, be, and that you may know the thoughts of your own mind. And he says, I'm not any brighter than anybody else. That's, that's not it. You shouldn't say, Daniel revealed this to me because he's really smarter than all of mine. Not at all, God. Not at all, Nebuchadnezzar. It's because of God. He's the one who's revealed this to me. Now listen. The best thoughts of our minds cannot conceive the wonder and glory of God. He must reveal it. Because you see, the wonder and glory of God, he has really spoken. And the wonder and glory of God is in Jesus. We know that now. You remember there was a time in the life of Jesus when he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they gave all kinds of answers all wrong. I mean, here was Jesus, the very son of God, standing in their midst. And they did not know who he was. Interestingly, the demons always did. But the people didn't. And then Peter pipes up, oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then you remember what Jesus said. He said, Simon, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this, but rather my father who is in heaven. It was revealed to him. It's been revealed to us. The best of the best in Babylonia couldn't discern the truth of God. Uh, that's why I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 earlier. You remember how that went. 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes to the church there and, uh, and he says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us 
who are being saved. It's the power of God. Because God said, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. He says, listen, you can't get it without me revealing it to you. And what's that mean? It means if we know it, then it means he has revealed it to us. And so at the end of the day, who do we say thank you to? We don't walk around beating our chest saying, we're smarter than all the others out there. We're better and brighter than all the others. No, 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 no. And Paul goes on, where's, where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. He says, I know we sound like the, the, the silly ones, but we're not. This is really the truth. Because you see, in the wisdom of the world, the world did not know God through its wisdom. But we know through Jesus and the illumination of his spirit. So then, as you would guess, um, Daniel is charged then to tell the king his dream and the interpretation. So the dream goes like this, verse 31. He says, you saw this, this image, this statue, essentially. And there it is. It has a, a head of gold, right? It has uh, silver on its chest and arms. Its middle and thighs are bronze. Its legs are iron. Its feet are iron and clay mixed together. And then he says, there's this stone. Now, if you're the stone, you've got to feel pretty bad about yourself in this picture, Right? Because you're not gold, and you're not silver, and you're not bronze, and you're not iron. You're a stone, right? But the stone, he says, isn't made with human hands, which means it's different than the, the, the statue. And the stone comes, and it crushes the feet and then everything else in the statue. And then it becomes this mountain that covers the whole world. Wow. That'd keep you up. And then Daniel said, this is what it means is it you, O king, or the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory, and into whose hand he's given wherever they dwell, the children of man, beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You're the head of gold. Now I think at that point Nebuchadnezzar is feeling pretty good about himself. Right? I've been given dominion. But 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 he has to think, wait a minute, wait a minute, I took dominion. I mean I conquered all these you're saying it was given to me by, oh. And then it kind of goes downhill for Nebuchadnezzar after that. Because then the next kingdom comes and it's inferior, but it replaces. The next kingdom comes, it's inferior, but. And the next kingdom comes, it's inferior, but. And, and so these four kingdoms that, that come, you see, and Nebuchadnezzar begins to realize that his kingdom is not indestructible, not Eternal, it is destructible. And then it's destructible, not only by these other kingdoms that come, but by this stone that comes and destroys completely all of it. Then verse 44, Daniel says, And in the days of those kings, all of those kings, perhaps maybe the last kings, it's hard to discern. And in the days of those kings, the king of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. All right, 
What's the message? Well, it isn't that God communicates to us through dreams, so we need to learn how to interpret them. Okay? It's not about dreams and whether that's the way that God speaks to us. People have asked me, do you think God speaks to you in dreams? And I've already told you my dreams, so I hope not. All right? Perhaps he does. I don't know. That's not the point of this. The point of this is that there is a kingdom of God that will destroy the kingdoms of men. Thus, that kingdom hasn't been made with human hands. It comes, we think it's just a stone, just a rock, not very pretty, not very precious. Uh, It comes in that way and it smashes all the idols and all the kingdoms that are established by men. Every single kingdom, every kingdom throughout history, it will shatter whether it's your personal kingdom or whether it's a political kingdom, even the political kingdom in which we live. The kingdom of God will shatter it because he's God. Now this stone, you see, this stone that will break all the other kingdoms is Jesus, right? The stone that the builders rejected. We read that too this morning. I know you were listening. We read that too. Uh, The stone that the builders rejected will become the chief cornerstone. It's everything. Everything fits into it. Without it, nothing fits. Everything falls apart. And so he's the stone, you see. And Jesus said, listen, this stone will crush you. That is to say, if you're not in it, this stone will crush you. If you're in this stone, it protects you. If you're in this stone, you're part of the mountain. If you're in this stone, you're part of the indestructible kingdom, you see. But, but, but if you're not, this stone will crush you. So the author of Hebrews puts it like this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, you see the Israelites who would hear this, those people from Judah in exile who would learn this from Daniel, that there is an indestructible kingdom, would receive great hope because they knew that's the kingdom that was promised. And there's a sense in which even then they're part of it. And God would say to them, I know you're in Babylon now, but a day is going to come when you're going to go back and the kingdom will be reestablished. And from that will come the very kingdom of God. And we know that if we have not refused that word, that we too belong to that kingdom. If we believe and if we believe and belong to that kingdom, then that kingdom is unshakable. Nothing can shake it, not even the judgment 
of God is completely unshakable. We're perfectly secure in the midst of that kingdom. And so when it looks like the kingdoms of this world, whether they be in politics or education or technology or, or society, whatever the kingdoms of this world are that seem to be overtaking, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid. They, they won't overtake us. They won't overtake us. Now, some people say, well, if Nebuchadnezzar was the gold, then who was the bronze and who was the silver and who was the iron? I don't know. Sorry. I'll never get a TV show. You got to know that before you get a TV show. I don't know. I don't need to know. Because I know the stone. And I know the indestructible kingdom. And the key is be in that indestructible kingdom. And how do you get there? You're born into it by the Holy Spirit. And you believe in this very one who's the revelation of God. And so how are we to live? Well, we're to live like Daniel and his friends. You know, when Nebuchadnezzar heard this, it sounds like he was excited about God, but he wasn't. That's a great danger for us. It's possible to hear this truth of God and seem excited about it, but unless you're converted by it and it it, it, it permeates your whole life. And you see, you're not part of this unshakable kingdom. But he promotes Daniel, and Daniel says, let me bring my friends along. And so basically what Daniel and his friends did was to follow the word of Jeremiah, that they would live in such a way to stay true to, to God and live in the midst of this place. And do, I think, what John Calvin encourages us to do when he says we live to make the invisible kingdom of God visible. To live it out. To say yes. The king has come. We know that in Jesus. The king has really come. And so we live that out. People, I'll end with this. People ask me from time to time, and I hate this question, but they ask me from time to time. Describe your church. <clears throat> and I say, well, on average, we come in at about 510, you know, 190. Um, I don't like that. But this is how I describe you. I, I don't know if you're going to like this or not. So don't write me. I say we're ordinary. I say we're the ordinary church. We live in a community, but not of it. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, yet we live in the United States of America in Lawrence, Kansas. And so what we do is we worship together. And as we worship together, we're reminded of who God is and who we are in relationship to him. We pray together. We care for one another. We desire then to care for others even outside of us. And we live in this community. We try not to assimilate, even though we try to cooperate. We try not to capitulate, even though we try to love our neighbors and to know them. And so we do our work and we raise our children and we give them in marriage and we increase and we continue to live in the midst of this community. Now, not only will I not get my own TV show, I'll never get to write a book. <laughs> right? I mean, who wants to read about ordinary people? It doesn't sell. But it's really true. 
And so in the midst of this great event, Daniel and his friends, knowing they were part of an unshakable kingdom, went out and lived it out. And that's true for us. And I believe that as we live this out, we're crushing the kingdoms of this world. And a day will come when we'll see it. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us, that you would enable us to live, to live in such a way that shows that the kingdom in Jesus has begun. It's been inaugurated. It's here. A day will come when it will come in its completeness. So in these days, I pray that you enable us to live it out as we, as we worship and as we pray and as we care and as we love one another and love our neighbors and as we live and as we work and we provide and we, that you would, through that, make the gospel of the kingdom known to people and with us they would increase. Father, there are times I know when life is troublesome and we wonder if the kingdoms of this world are going to overtake us. We, we grieve because we lose those we love. I pray for Melanie Bartlow as she lost uh, her brother-in-law this past week. And I pray for his family. I pray for Melanie and hers as they grieve. But I do pray that you would give them the great reminder they're part of a, an unshakable, indestructible kingdom. Uh, Father, for Jeanette Green's son, we pray for him. For healing for Rick Ballinger's dad in the same way, we pray. And for others that we know who are in life's difficulties and need healing and care, we pray, Father, that you would heal. But in the midst of that, you would remind that they're part of an unshakable, indestructible kingdom. Father, you'll be with us. Help us as a church to continue to live out in what seems quite daily and quite ordinary, the life to which you've called us. That we would know that through Jesus, the kingdom of God is being manifested and seen. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction.